Greetings, citizens, and welcome to a special on-the-road edition of Unknown. Jason McClellan. I'm here with Shane Hurd. Thanks for hanging out with us. We are in Laughlin, Nevada, on the edge of the Colorado River. And we are here because we came to check out UFO Megacon. Now, UFO Megacon is a brand new event. This was the first year that they've done it. Um, and this is put on by, by some of the people who originally brought us the International UFO Congress back many years ago when it was in Laughlin. And so this is sort of a, a homecoming for a lot of the old Laughlin crowd. So a lot of familiar faces here. This is a an, an event that uh, was going on for a long time. It actually started a full week ago from when we are recording this. It's, it started on a Sunday and went all the way through Saturday. So very long event. Tons of speakers here. We Fortunately, did not uh, experience the entire thing. That would be way too much UFO conference. But uh, we came to check out the last day, and that is why we are here. So today we're going to talk a little bit about our experience at the event, some of the interesting highlights we saw. And uh, yeah, Shane, what are what are your initial thoughts of this event? I know you go to UFO conferences, and certainly the, the UFO Congress that's now in Phoenix is the one we go to the most. So... How uh, how was your experience here? Yeah, it was uh, it's pretty interesting. First of all, I'd never been to Laughlin, and it's really kind of a neat little place, um, kind of a mini Vegas, and it certainly has that that feel to it. And the conference too, um, I mean, the amazing amount of speakers that that they had that's pretty impressive. And yeah. and um, you know, though we didn't see the majority of them, we saw a couple um, yesterday. But it was still really good, and it, it was great to see a lot of the people that we do know, uh, you know, in the vendor area and those sorts of things. And then, you know, we had an opportunity to hang with people in the casino. So that was just – it was a great time. And like we always try to uh, explain to people, these types of events are fantastic for the social aspect. That's really the highlight at least in my opinion. And, you know, people, a lot of people in the UFO field, people get into this topic, sort of stay exclusively in the digital world, right? They they talk about it on Facebook or, or whatever social platform, but they don't realize that this happens in the real world. And the the, the social media world is not the real world. And although you see a lot of bickering and fighting and, and disagreements online, come to an event like this, you can interact with those people in real life and have a civil discussion. Absolutely. I mean, I, I agree that the strength of going to these things, you know, uh, although the knowledge is great to have, and we did learn some new things, right. and I don't want to minimize that. That's right. totally awesome. But really, the pleasure is getting together with everybody who are like-minded, the people you do uh, talk to on, on social media, you get to meet them face-to-face. And it really, it's really fun. I mean, we just had a ball hanging with, you know, all the people that we did. And so, um, it, you know, it makes the whole thing more real for you. And, and, you, and I've, I always say this about ufology. It's really about people. That's right. Yeah, and this is this is a place where you see that that expressed most. 
Yeah, that's a good point. It's it's clearly demonstrated here. Uh, a big topic of conversation here, and it was certainly focused in the programming of the event, was really the Nimitz encounter, you know, that, that famous Tic Tac video that we're all familiar with now. A, a big focus here was that the people involved with that. There are a lot of people who are personally involved with that case here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that that's outstanding. Again, these are names and faces that we've seen on Facebook yeah. over the past year or so, but we actually got to meet, meet some of them. Really great guys. And, you know, to, to hear about the experience personally from that person is way more powerful. Um, you know, you read the words on a page, you know, that's good and interesting. But when, when you see the emotion of these guys and they, and they, they were very emotional, they, this, this made a big impact on them in their personal lives. And that really came across in the presentation. And then when we were able to hang with some of the guys later, um, you know, you really got, got the impression how meaningful an event like that really is. Yeah. Yeah. That was a, a huge highlight of this thing and a big focus too. And I'm glad, I mean, it deserves attention and it's great to hear from the people who are personally involved. Another thing, and for me, and I think for Shane too, this is predominantly the reason that we wanted to come to this event. And that is because a certain individual was speaking here and uh, kind of took us by surprise because this individual doesn't doesn't speak publicly um, and probably for good reason. But uh, we're talking about Richard Doty. And Shane, who is Richard Doty? He's a very controversial figure. He is a person who is uh, Air Force intelligence, and he has a direct connection to the Paul Benowitz case uh, in the early 80s. And, um, you know, if you know anything about that case, it's a pretty disturbing for ufologists and the things that can happen and sort of the trouble you can get into. And, and well, you know, we'll talk more about that, I suppose. But yeah, and he had some interesting things to say. And I know one thing stuck in your mind. What was that? Absolutely. I'll get to that in just a minute. But it was fascinating and kind of, I don't know, I don't know. It was a weird experience. First of all, seeing him and then hearing him talk. And his talk was essentially his side of the story. And the the big focus here, his his like main climax of his presentation was just like a two second thing that ultimately was. And, you know, people say that, you know, I tried to to brainwash him and, you know, mislead him and, and do harm to him. Yeah, none of that's true. I, none of that happened. I didn't do that. We were friends. And then it was done. Like, move on. Yeah. I think that's a little hard for a lot of people to do. Exactly. Though. Yeah. Exactly. No, that's that's the story he painted that that he and Paul were buddies. Yeah. Even right to the end. He's all, no, no, we were friends. We hung out. Yes. And, you know, I didn't do anything to, to mislead him. He just, you know, he thought these things were UFOs. And, you know, I let him believe that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There's more to the story than that. Yes, definitely. But I don't know. Another interesting thing, though, for you know, on the other side of it was, if you're listening, he did say multiple times in multiple ways that he was convinced that UFOs are extraterrestrial. Mm-hmm. He was told by higher ups that UFOs are extraterrestrial. Mm-hmm. So that is an interesting side to that. It is because that, I mean, to me, he embodies sort of the, the, um, you know, anti ufology. I mean, he, right. he, you know, his job was to kind of discount it and stuff, but yet yeah. he, he personally came away with 
you know, that belief, if, you know, if he's being truthful, uh, which was pretty shocking to me because. Uh, and even more than that, even orbs, right? Orbs, oh, yes. orbs inside the house, mm-hmm. like an experience he had with Paul. Yeah, he described that pretty in pretty good detail. And, and came away saying, you know, we have no explanation for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's pretty interesting. But, you know, that that part is probably not a total surprise to me because even look at Dr. J. Allen Hynek and how, you know, he started out from very skeptical, almost a, a debunking role to by the time he got through Project Blue Book, he, you know, he felt strongly that, yeah, there was some thing to this and he even started you know the center for ufo studies so i mean i think when you're exposed to this and the more you learn about it you ha- you understand that this is very difficult to explain by conventional means so even if you know he was the arch debunker or something you know you just you can't kind of you just can't deny some of the things that happen and 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 take that away is you know some degree of truth so we mentioned that the the nimitz case was a, a big element of the conference here and along with that, and rightfully so, to the STARS Academy of Arts and Science has been uh, a big element along with that. And this was what you alluded to, the, the biggest surprise for, for all of us, I think, during Doty's presentation was a statement he made about his history and how he worked for Dr. Hal Pudoff, yes. who is part of To the STARS Academy of Arts and Science. And not only... Did he work for Hal Pudoff? He worked for him for 11 years. Yeah. That's pretty substantial. Yeah, that's astonishing. And, you know, I even think which 11 of those years of the history. And, and because right. that means there's connection to things like NIDS and uh, Bigelow's other enterprises. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, Skinwalker Ranch, is it? Or, you and know, for conspiracy people, yes, George Knapp and Jeremy Corbell were right there in the front during Doty's presentation. Yeah. So I, th- I think what it really tells us is that, you know, a great part of ufology for us, new, new people in it or, you know, our generation, but um, even for the people in the 50s, 60s and 70s, you know, the intelligence community has always been linked to the UFO community. And I've always thought, you know, I kind of minimize that in my mind because that's like old, old past history. Yeah. But I, I'm thinking, that, no, that that's not the case. It's not past history. It is past, present, and likely future that intelligence and ufology are closely connected. And that is kind of hard to get my head around because, again, it's hard enough to deal with, you know, the weirdness of what this phenomena is without possible intentional misleading or whatever uh, that that might be going on. So uh, it's going to take me a while to kind of digest this. Yeah. I mean, it just, like most of the exploration of this topic, you're left with more questions. (laughs) Yes. You know, and we're looking at these puzzle pieces, just kind of moving them around. And we're seeing that, you know, puzzle pieces that were over here fitting nicely also fit over in this other area and you're all, what, what is going on yeah. there? And with all these programs and things that have happened through UFO history, there's lots of sort of incestuous relationships, really, yeah. like yeah. a lot of the same names popping up and these, these relationships, you know, hmm, what really is going on here? Yeah, I think it's, um, I mean, this is kind of the way I've always thought of it as an investigator. You have to have a very open mind about all of the evidence and all the subtleties and all of that. However, you need to always take everything with a grain of salt. You have to, you know, um, 
a measure of skepticism. Um, you know, you, you need to accept the possibility of things, yeah. but you need to be on guard. And I think this illustrates that even, not even only on an investigative process, but in terms of just any of the information in ufology, you got to be very careful about it. Um, you know, you need to source it. You need to scrutinize those sources. You need to actually have multiple sources. And, and even then, in the end, if you feel good about some bit of data, you still got to keep hold out the possibility that there's more to that story. And so you have to, I think you just have to be very careful and not dogmatic on making, you know, decisions, um, you know, about what you're hearing. That's a very good point. And, you know, at the next step, I hope we hear from Dr. Hal Pudoff mm-hmm. and hear his response to that yeah. and get confirmation and find out more, you know, if that is true yeah. and, and what, what perhaps they were working on together. But, you know, the, the, like you said, these are things that, you know, we should keep in mind when looking at the full picture of things. But looking at To the Stars Academy right now and looking at Dr. Hal Pudoff, if he did work with or have uh, Doty work for him, that was a counterintelligence guy. Mm-hmm. And now he's currently working with... Lou Elizondo, a counterintelligence guy. Yes. So, interesting company. Yeah. Like I said, got to verify, verify, verify. And really, I think the focus should be on the data. Yes. If, if, if there is verifiable, provable data, okay, you can feel pretty good about having confidence in that. However, you still need to consider the context and the source and all those things. But yeah, I think it, to the degree that we can attain data or acquire data and, you know, interpret it properly, that, that's our, you know, that's our closest capability of getting to any kind of a truth. I completely agree. Couldn't agree more. And, you know, speaking of data, we were fortunate to spend a considerable amount of time at this event with one of our dear friends and one of the mothers of UFO data, and that is Cheryl Costa. We are here with Cheryl Costa. Cheryl, it's so good to see you again. And, you know, you are, not to uh, kiss your behind too much, but you are one of the main reasons we decided to take the drive here today. You're a good friend, and we always love seeing you. I am am deeply, deeply um, um, humbled by that. I really am. Well, what is, you are an extremely busy person. You always seem to be working on 100 projects at the same time. So I would love to ask you, what is new and exciting with Cheryl Costa? All right, the new and exciting. Um, what we had to do with our database, which is interesting, over the last couple of years, we kept having the issue with people who made entries for UFO sightings didn't spell their cities well. Sometimes they put a space in front of the city, so you can't search on that. They'll do it all in capital letters, or they'll do it in mixed case, or they'll do it in all small letters. Uh, or they'll type in the name of the city and then type something like um, halfway between, you know, something like that. And um, what we decided, and also some mistakes we made back in 2016 when we were building the book, um, uh, UFO Sightings Desk Reference, United States of America, 2001 to 2015, when we were building it, um, we did get some counties wrong for some states. And in a couple of situations, some sightings, we got the wrong state because the guy who made the entrance had the wrong state. Okay? So we have been uh, fixing it. And uh, it's slow going because the database has grown to 147,000. 
sightings over the last 18 years. And so by doing so, I've had to go in there at an average of uh, three to 5,000 lines a day. It's it's a two-man, we've calculated it to be a two-man month effort. That is with me working about 30 hours a week on it um, to go in and correct everything. Though We went out and got a mailing list, a golden one, and mer- mer- merged it in. Uh, it was 85%. Okay, so it's been slow going in and correcting uh, the other stuff that was the fallouts. Plus, we're adding latitude and longitude information uh, for some other kinds of algorithms we're doing. And uh, so we figured, let's do this one good time. And the plan is is to come out with a new compu- a new production of the data later this year, spanning 2001 to 2018. And if we did it all as one book, it'd be over 2,700 pages. So what we're going to do is publish each state as a pri- uh, as a single POD book, print-on-demand book, through Amazon. Uh, every single state would be by itself. And then we will also take the states that are associated with... Um, uh, 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 census districts and compile them into a census district book for all nine census districts. So if you want to have your neighboring states along with it, you'll be able to do it. And then a, f- a couple of analysis books and a big summary book to tie it together. It will be about 60 books. Nothing fancy. Not a lot of verbiage in the thing. Nothing fancy. It's P- it's going to be PDFs being burned to POD type books. But it is going to be the largest compilation of UFO sighting data ever published. That's incredibly exciting. And I can't imagine, like, I need to figure out more space in my bookshelf to figure out where to put the 60. That's, that's awesome. And it sounds like a lot of work. But... I certainly appreciate all your effort in doing that because I, I think that's incredibly valuable data. Uh, I'll ask you a random question right now just because it's on my mind. The past year, year and a half or so, we've certainly heard a lot in the UFO circles, certainly, but also in mainstream media about a Tic Tac UFO. And I know you look a lot at shapes that are reported of ufos has anybody reported a tic-tac shaped ufo in the data you've seen well actually yes sort of um okay there's two flavors of it some say it's a very oblong cigar shaped thing uh, a little bit more blunt on the ends than a cigar there are others that we seem to think that uh, about five years ago we started seeing these barbell things showing up. And when I saw the tic-tac on radar, it was reminiscent of the barbell. So I'm not sure completely. In fact, I hope uh, there, we have some of the uh, tic-tac guys here. And I'm hoping to talk to them and find out if anybody has a really solid visual on it. Because I'm curious if it's barbell or the, the cigar-shaped thing. Refresh my memory, what branch of the military did you serve in? I was in the Air Force for two and a half years in telephone repair, and then I was out, I was in the Navy for better part of eight, almost eight years, uh, in, uh, I was a senior electronic warfare specialist. High, very high tech, DC to light was my, was my realm. <laughs> you know, I... I love everything you do, but I also just thinking about the the volume of work you do and how intensive data work really is. I wonder when Cheryl Costa is going to get a break. So are you going to finally retire anytime soon and enjoy your your golden years, as they say? Okay, well, a couple of things have happened, and this has changed the narrative a little bit, okay? 
One, uh, Linda and I both wanted to do a, uh, since we've learned in the last three years, with special algorithms that we've written to work with the database. A lot of people think you just pull the raw data. It, there, it, no, the secrets, you had to go in, it's big data. You, hell, heck, Google has algorithms. Amazon has algorithms. We built our own algorithms, and we can look at the data differently than just the raw stuff like the first book sort of reflected. Okay, and so we decided let's give everybody everything that we've got nationally at the state level, at the county level, at the shape level, right down to the individual city in every single state. Okay, we can tell you what time they appear, we can tell you hours of light and darkness when they appear, what day of the week they appear, and what state they appear on those days of the week. Because 76% are on Saturday, Saturday, but the rest of the states, there's a, a tiny little handful of 12 states, it's different days of the week. Other than Monday's the only day of the week, nobody peeks out. And uh, the whole flavor is, is we wanted to put all this data out there. And with such, a, and there was a lot of talk in Congress right now, uh, you know, Harry Reid kind of talk, trying to get people to have um, have uh, uh, congressional hearings. And by God, we want to be the data book that everybody's going to refer to. And of course, Linda shudders at the idea. Oh my God, I don't want to testify in front of Congress, you know. But um, my flavor is, uh, if it can help bring about a level of disclosure yes let's do this and right now we have people in the media starting to refer to us as the mothers of ufo security or not security but ufo um uh, statistics and uh, somebody uh, clarice can be the mother of dragons we can be the mothers of statistics <laughs> i love that yeah so um it's interesting this compilation do you do you imagine uh, that'll be used by different folks, or is there an, an interest in other individuals or who might want to use that information in a different way? I mean, the desk reference is great, but um, do you have a target audience for that at all? Actually, there's uh, levels of it, actually. Um, when you look at it from the standpoint of people who have been using it, the investigators have gone crazy with it. I get mail all the time from major uh, uh, MUFON investigators and non-MUFON investigators saying, I've got a copy in my shelf. It's getting beat to pieces because people come to me and say, hey, are there any sightings in this county? You know, And uh, say, yeah, let me check. And he pulls the book out and gives them a number because it's a compilation of both MUFON and National UFO Reporting Center. Um, so I see that as a reference book for them. The other reference book is the idea that by breaking it down by states, making it very, actually very easy inexpensive, although some of these books for individual states are going to be like anywhere from 177 to 350 pages just for a single state. And then, of course, some of the New England states will only be like eh, 50 to 90 pages, okay? But um, the other people is we're hoping media people will have this as a reference book for their newsrooms, that type of thing. I'm a journalist. I think it would be very helpful to have that. And uh, because it is a reference series, I'd like to see uh, uh, a large quantity of the 125,000 libraries in the United States buy a copy. Um, and because it's, it's theoretically, a refer it's going to be an extension of the reference book. Uh, we've always wanted the UFO material not to be over there on the shelf with the metaphysical, but to be over there in the reference material. There's more to this than people are giving it credit for. We are, when I leave this conference, I'm going to know one way or the other if uh, we've been signed to a national television series. 
And the national television series, if we do it the way we want to do it, which is what's being talked about, uh, see, all the other shows that have been out there pitching uh, have been, what you would say, the same old school UFO show. The best UFO crashes of the 50s, 60s, and 70s, you know, that kind of thing. And we're the 21st century data people. And that's how it was pitched. And we've developed algorithms that we can do cluster studies um, like nobody can, else can do. We can show you a place that never has any sightings, but back maybe five years ago for a week or maybe a month, they were inundated. We can do that. We've learned how to do that. And uh, that came in handy when we pitched the producers, and the producers said, oh, yes. And what we'll do is we'll go to that little podunk town and rent the VFW hall or the fire hall and advertise and throw a big UFO presentation like you do at these conventions for their town and their state. And then the production company will use that gathering as a casting call, and anybody wants to come up and tell us their UFO stories, Suddenly, we will have Ma and Pa America giving us disclosure. That's the plan. And we'll, uh, the working title when we were pitching, it was UFO Roadshow. And that's not going to be the title, but that was the working title when yeah. we were pitching. That's really exciting. That's a fantastic approach. And like you said, I mean, that's completely unique. You guys obviously bring something unique, something that hasn't been done and isn't being done, being that you have the data and you're using that data and bringing that into a show. People are hungry for data, too. You know, the general public is definitely interested in this topic, but certainly looking for that data that they can grab onto, and you guys can provide that. Well, you know, one of the things that pleased us, our book came out in late March of 2017, okay? And um, it amounted to, well, as they say, a a Pulitzer Prize-winning reporter at the New York Times took our two-and-a-half-pound, 374-page book and dropped it on its editor's desk and said, somebody did the science. Actually, the phrase was, some old ladies in Syracuse did the science, okay? And, And it blew, pawing through the book, the editors went crazy. Because the, and it showed in the title of the article in Science Magazine in the New York Times, people are seeing UFOs everywhere, and this book proves it. That floored Linda and myself. Well, guess what? Nine months, that got a conversation going at that paper. And nine what, eight months later, December 16, 2017, we had the revelation about the Pentagon and their program done by the New York Times and Politico. And so we feel we had a hand in that disclosure. And we're hoping this next level of this thing will be the thing where everybody can pick one up for their state. Uh, the governors, the state legislatures, and say, this is going on our state. Hey, Congress, what do you got? What Tell us about this, you know. And this is what we're hoping will happen. Um, the New York Times made the comment to us uh, in, during the crisis, somebody stopped telling stories and started producing data and science, and that's what blew them away. It was the first time anybody really came to them with credible numbers. Yeah. So we're, we're, we take great pride in that issue. Yeah, sure. yeah, absolutely. Well, we'll keep our fingers crossed, hope the TV stuff comes through, but at the very least, you've got some exciting book stuff coming out. Again, just pouring through that data. We really appreciate it, Cheryl. You want to know what we're going then doing next after do do this? Well, of course. This is, suppo- this is intention to be our swan song. Will we still come do conferences? Yes, but we're not going to be writing any more stuff, okay? That's the plan. Uh, I am a fiction writer. 
Okay. I also write for Syracuse. I write for the Syracuse New Times. I host the Coast to Coast radio program every week, and I've just been contracted to write columns for two pagan publications that pay. So uh, suddenly I've become a paid writer, which is kind of fun. And then the other thing is I've been writing fiction for years, and a new software came out recently. It's called Grammarly. And I got a copy of that thing, and it's cleaning up all my bad commas. And, uh, and it, it's saving us a fortune with an editor. So we cleaned up all the bad stuff, and we're getting ready to also release a whole bunch of my fiction under another brand name. But uh, uh, that's the deal. So the UFO stuff's published under Cheryl Costa. All my mysteries and science fiction and short stories are published under Cheryl and Costa. So it's a different brand, and we're getting ready to release a ton of stuff. When, when do you stop to, to sleep or to take a vacation? Like It seems like you're constantly busy. You're constantly writing. You're constantly producing content. Um, that's the vein of somebody who is creative. Uh, for most of my career, I had my uh, 40 to 60 hour a week job at Lockheed Martin. And everybody used to joke that theater, local community theater and professional amateur theater was Cheryl's and radio. I also did radio in D.C., so uh, it was her other 40 to 60 hour a week job, you know. So um, I, I've always had a two, a one foot on Main Street, one foot in the Twilight Zone writing fiction and writing creative stuff and or staging stuff. And um, uh, they can ask me to be quiet when they put me in the box. Well, that's not happening for a long time. Come on, Cheryl. All right. Well, thank you so much, Cheryl. Appreciate it. My pleasure. Yeah, that's great. And love her sense of humor. She, yeah, she's saying, we're the little old ladies of, of statistics and stuff. But, oh, my goodness, thankfully, they are there and they have been able to do um, statistics in a way that, you know, is, is uh, you know, understandable uh, and has good direct application to ufology and the breakdown that they've done and, and the things that she indicated that they're doing in the future. So it's pretty exciting. And I really appreciate having that kind of hard data. They do such such fantastic work. They're hard workers. And I, I agree. I mean, I'm just so looking forward to all of that coming out. That's certainly a collection that, that I want to have in my, my bookshelf. Oh, absolutely. And I'm really curious how it's going to be interpreted and utilized either by like, you know, the media, right. the, you know, the general media out there, uh, you know, the uf ufology type of media, and then just, you know, investigators and just your average person, you know, look at those statistics and, you know, they're being broken down in a very localized way. This is the effort that they're working on now, which is going to be incredibly useful. So I really look forward to that part, too. I do, too. Well, we're going to wrap up this episode. Big thanks to UFO Megacon for having us out for this event. Shane and I had so much fun. Thank you to all of our friends who took time to hang out with us at this event. We saw so many people that yeah, really we haven't seen in a long time. It's always good to, to hang out and catch up. So good, good event. Uh, hope they had uh, success with this one and, and most likely we'll see see them again next year. We thank you for hanging out with us today. We'll be back in the studio next week. Until then, I'm Jason McClellan. And I'm Shane Hurd. Do us a favor, stay strange. Stay strange.